0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey guys, welcome back to Online Calvary. We are so glad that you're here with us. And I hope that you're enjoying House Arrest as much as I am. And uh, they let me out to be able to teach this message to you. And then I go back in the clink for another week. So I'm, I'm glad to be with you. So when my son was born, my son is 10. And uh, when he was born, we had a similar thing. You know, how it happens when you have kids that, that you got a few weeks where, you know, you don't leave the house and all of that. So it's kind of like quarantine for newborns. And so my son was about six weeks old, and I just couldn't take it anymore. So we did a family vacation to Orlando. So we rented this this uh, hotel for the weekend uh in uh, Orlando and we just went we just like we're not going to go to the parks we're just going to hang out at the hotel I just needed a a change of scenery so one day that we were there the, the we checked in the next day we decided to go to the pool now this hotel I don't know who designed it but it was a person that did not have an architectural degree I can be sure of because it was an absolute maze to get to the pool so We checked in, and we got lost in the lobby. And I don't even know how that is actually even possible in the world in which we live, but it's true. So we had only been there for half a day, and we had already been lost several times. So in the morning, we headed down to go down to the pool, and my wife told me to call downstairs. She's like, you should call and get directions to the pool. And and I said to her, Mike, have you learned nothing being married to me? Men don't ask for directions. So anyway, so... Truth be told, I had no idea where I was going, I just figured it was gonna happen along the way, which is pretty much the strategy that all men have about everything. So, but we head down, go down to the lobby, and then I just have this vision, and and I say to my wife, follow me, I know where I'm going. So I start making twists, Turns, I go down a set of uh, escalators, I go up a set of escalators, I go this way, that way, make these turns with total confidence, and then we turn a corner and we get to the pool. And my wife, because if you're not aware of this, I live my entire life just to impress her. And she's like, Bob, I'm so impressed. How in the world did you do it? And I said, Well, there was this guy that was a few feet in front of us, and he had an inflatable giant alligator, and I figured the only place that that guy could be headed. Is the pool. So now whether you realize it or not, everyone is looking for someone to follow. And you might say, well I'm not. Well you probably are, whether you realize it or not. We're looking for someone who's gone before us, who's going to help us get from here to there. And so we're thinking about this in pretty much every area of life. We're thinking about, you know, who's gone before us going to help us get from here to there when it comes to being a better parent, when it comes to our career, when it comes to being a better son or daughter, better husband or wife. and And the challenge is, it's usually not as clear as having an inflatable alligator right in front of us. And so what we do is we kind of think about, you know, who it is, then I see their life, and their life looks pretty good, and I'm gonna kind of follow what they're doing because I wanna get the same result that they have. But listen, whether it's by default or whether it's by design, all of us are following someone. Now, in the culture that we live in, especially the social media culture, we, there's lots of people who are following us, and then there's lots of people that we follow. And it's not really the same thing, because you don't really follow someone on Instagram or Twitter. You just observe what they're doing. But the problem is that sounds weird. Like, could you imagine talking to someone like, hey, I started observing your posts on Instagram. I'm one of your observers. I mean, that just like stalker, creep language, and, and even though it's totally accurate. Now, but here's the other thing that we do. If you Never, and once again, maybe you've realized this, maybe you haven't, is that we don't just point to people that we're following as a model of what we do. Like, hey, I'm just trying to do what they do because I want my life to be kind of like theirs. If we're being honest, the other thing that we do is we point out the mistakes in others so that we don't seem as bad in what it is that we're doing. So when your spouse says, honey, I think we're having problems, and, and you're like, honey, we don't have problems. You know those people, they have problems. And, and and we do that. Or you might say, Wow, man, we're in debt. We really gotta figure this out. And you're and, and the other you know, your spouse is like, come on, we're not in debt. You know our friends such and such? I mean, those people are drowning. I mean, we're doing okay. And and the thing is, what we're doing is we're creating false comparisons just to make ourselves feel better. And this is the challenge that we find ourselves in our story today. Last week we started this series called Viewfinder, the secret weapon to making sense of life. And what we're looking at, we're looking at this little Old Testament prophet, uh, this little book named uh, Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is kind of a weird name in our culture. It's a Hebrew name that literally means to embrace or to wrestle. And, and that's really who Habakkuk is. He's someone who wrestled with God. In fact, biblical scholars call Habakkuk the doubting Thomas of the Old Testament because he was struggling with what God was doing, asking tons of questions about what God is going to do. And if you missed the first message, I'd really encourage you to go back and check it out. In fact, I'm going to wait right here, and you go back and listen to it, and then you meet me here. Okay, you're back. All right, good. Or that was just a weird silence for those of you that already listened. So, in the first message, we talked about how Habakkuk is praying Because he's looking at the people of Israel and saying, God, how are you not doing anything about the people of Israel? I mean, they're just going their own way. They're doing all these terrible things. And then God responds to Habakkuk and says, you know what? You're right. I'm going to do something. I'm actually going to bring the Babylonians in and take them into captivity. Habakkuk freaks out. He's like, hold on, hold on. God, uh, I know we're bad, but they, the Babylonians, are horrible. You should be asking us to wipe them out for all the things that they've done. And then Habakkuk has this moment of incredible wisdom where he says this. He says, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch and see what God says to me. Because once I see things from his perspective, I believe that I'm going to understand. And in this next section, what we're going to look at is essentially God's response to Habakkuk. When he says, I'm going up to the rampart or the... Uh, watchtower part of a fortress. And he says, I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna wait, and I'm gonna see what God says. And this entire section of chapter two is God's response. But what I wanna do is, because the first part of the chapter is so applicable to us, what I wanna do is actually take the the end of the chapter first because God is going to talk about what he's going to do about the Babylonians. And now we have to understand something. God is going to use the Babylonians, and he did use the Babylonians to discipline the people of Judah. But what God is going to do is that he's going to explain what he's going to do to the Babylonians so that there's no question that God is just and doesn't turn a blind eye to what's happening in the world. Because even though God will use something bad for the purpose of God, doesn't mean that God is not going to deal with the thing that's evil. He's getting to that. And this is important for us as the quarantine era continues that and as we start to become more restless and maybe you've been in the place where it's like man I've gotten into a couple more arguments with my spouse than than I have before and I feel like I'm you know like the walls are closing in and I don't know why everything that my kids do is driving me crazy and by the way if you're kids you're thinking everything my parents do is driving me crazy and then your parents are thinking how is that I'm delightful anyway but here's the thing is that When it comes to this, especially for us in the quarantine era, the more we become restless, the more we need to know that God has not forgotten us. God has not moved on. Instead, he's actively at work making right the things that are wrong in the world. So we're actually going to start in chapter 2 of Habakkuk in verse 5. And then uh, we'll actually come back and take verses 2, 3, and 4 at the end. But we'll start in verse 5. Here's what we read. Indeed, Because he, that is Babylon, transgresses by wine. He is a proud man. He does not stay at home. See, even they had a stay-at-home order. And uh, because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied, he gathers to himself all nations, and he heaps up for himself all peoples. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him, saying, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? And they will not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, God begins by talking to Habakkuk saying, all right, here's the deal. Let me tell you what I'm going to do about Babylon. And what he tells them is this. Here's how I'm going to judge them. They are not going to be able to control themselves. And that will be their undoing. And so, in these first verses, we read that God says people are going to come up with proverbs or sayings about the Babylonians that will serve as a warning for other people in future generations. And so in, in verse six that we read, you'll see that it starts with this woe. And in fact, uh, there's five woes that God gives to the people of, of Babylon. And the first one is, is that those who you plundered will eventually plunder you. And this happened within the course of fifty years. Now, the Babylonian captivity for Israel was seventy years, and even within the captivity, by fifty years, the Babylonian Empire was gone. The Persian people, the Medo-Persians that they had oppressed, and one of the those one of the nations they had conquered in conquering the known world, eventually became their oppressors, and it's amazing how getting a taste of your own medicine can cure people. And, and listen, you do this sometimes as as parents, right? In fact, I remember when my daughter Livy was really young that she would play with my son Xander and she would bite Xander. And then, you know, we'd tell her, you can't bite your brother and that's not good and, you know, whatever that it hurts and whatnot. And then she kept doing it. And one day I told Xander and I said, Xander, the next time she bites you, bite her back. And he did. And that was the last time we ever had to deal with uh, her biting. Now, it's what my wife calls extreme. She's like, uh, that I engage in something called extreme parenting. Uh, I like to call it parenting outside the box. Or in other terms, I really have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just experimenting and see what works. Anyway, so, but the point is, is he says, here's what's going to happen. You've been oppressing, you're going to find yourselves being oppressed. And then the second woe happens in verse nine, where he says this, He says, "'Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, "'that he may set his nest on high, "'that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. Uh, "'You give shameful counsel to your house, "'cutting off many peoples, and sin against your soul, "'for the stone will cry out from the wall, "'and beams from the timbers will answer it.'" Now if you pause there, and here's, once again, the second woe is those who do evil to gain security. And that's the thing that God says, it's not going to work out for them. I I, I just got done watching this documentary about the McDonald's Monopoly game. I don't know if you remember that. It's still going on. But for years, they've had this this Monopoly game. The documentary was fascinating. And it was about how uh, for several years, all of the million-dollar winners were basically, basically related to one family. And they you know, and then it turns out to be this big scam and they all committed fraud and and all to have financial security. And then you get to the end, and here's the thing that was amazing. Now, here was the scam. This one guy would give out the, the winning ticket, but you had to split the winnings with the guy. And so this guy would get five hundred grand, you would get five hundred grand. The problem is, well that, that sounds good, you still get five hundred grand. The problem is they never the, the people who agreed to this never realized there was this thing called taxes. And Uncle Sam would show up wanting his, at the time, 40%. And so, at the end, it, most of it got eaten up in taxes. And at, listen, and here's the thing. You get to the end of this documentary, and it's so sad that these people are worse off than before they had ever started this thing with McDonald's. My friends, the end was not a happy meal. I mean, it, And it never is. That's why, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says this, godliness with contentment. Is great gain there is a harvest of good that comes into our lives when we trust God and we're going to see that happen a little more later in our study in, in verse 12 he goes on he says woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed who establishes a city by iniquity behold is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire and uh, nations weary themselves in vain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the the sea. Now, if you pause there, the third woe is that are, these are the, these people are building their cities with bloodshed, and that they will wear themselves out. And that they're cities, that they're going to burn themselves out in the process of building all of these uh, cities and conquering all these people. And this is what the contrast is in in verse 14. But in contrast to that, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Listen, Babylon was so hard at work to conquer the known world that in the end, they were forgotten. I mean, listen, most of us, right? I mean, unless you had some kind of biblical education, you, you probably couldn't even pick Babylon off a map. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe somewhere in the Middle East, right? That's probably a good guess. You know, it's probably not in like Utah or something, right? Uh, And so, why? Because for all of their striving, it didn't last. It it didn't last. And in fact, we're going to see this in a minute, that all of the striving literally became their undoing. But God is telling Habakkuk that the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. And this is what's happened Right? Over the last 2,000 years with the spread of the gospel, Christianity has spread like wildfire. We are seeing it now in the quarantine era. Listen, in 2019, uh, if you were attending Calvary back then, you might remember. It's a year ago. We had about 5,000 people attend one of our Easter services, uh, services over Easter weekend at Calvary. 5,000 people. Two weeks ago. Close to 15,000 people watched one of our Easter online experiences. Why? Because what the enemy intended for evil, God is using for good. He goes on in verse 15, and listen to what he says. He says, Woe to him who gives a drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be on your glory. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the fourth woe, which is very poetic. It involves someone forcing someone else to drink to make them drunk and susceptible to their influence. The Babylonians did this in uh, many Ways And and I love how God responds. And it's like, you're forcing people to drink? Well, the cup of my right hand is against you. And it's a picture of God's wrath being poured out. And let me show you how that uh, actually took place. The Babylonian Empire, like a lot of empires, you know, it's like, well, yeah, they were conquered. When? I don't know. Around this time. We actually know the day, the night, that the Babylonian Empire ended. The Babylonian Empire ceased to exist on October 12th, 539 BC, on that night. How do we know that? Uh, Well, here's what happened. There were, they were, the Babylonians were having this extended party for days on end. And everyone was so drunk they couldn't even tell what was happening. The Medo-Persians, led by Darius the Great, had surrounded the city of Babylon for months. They had been besieging it for months. The Babylonians Babylonians threw a party in defiance of their invaders at their doorstep because people said that the city of Babylon was impregnable. There was no way you could conquer the city. So how was that? How did they do it? Well, here's what they did. While everybody was having their party that went on for days and weeks and weeks and weeks, the Euphrates River ran through the city of Babylon. So they didn't have to leave the city to get fresh fish and all of this, which is why how they fed primarily fed uh, the, the city. What King Darius, or later King Darius, Darius the Great, what he did is that he started digging these trenches to divert the water from the Euphrates and started creating these canals and rivers and it lowered the water level enough so that his his soldiers literally waded through water that was, you know, maybe waist high walked under these iron bars that kept people out and they took over the city. And if you want to know how, uh, you know, if you want to read Daniel chapter five, another uh, Old Testament prophet, he was there the night that uh, Babylon fell and you can read the story from the inside and how it happened. We know what history tells us, the outside of the story uh, on their way in. Daniel tells us the story of what it was like on the inside and all, all, all of that. Well, the fifth woe is in verse 18. He says this. He says, What profit is the image that the maker should carve it? The molden image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake, and to silent stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it at all. But, in contrast, the Lord is in his holy temple, and let all the earth keep silence. Before him, If you pause there. The fifth woe is that they create idols that can't speak. In contrast, God says this, God is in his holy temple and let us keep silent before him. God is saying, listen, you don't have to do anything. They're going to do all of these things to themselves. Just watch. And that brings us to the verses that we skipped at the very beginning of the chapter. And I skipped them because this is the part of what God tells Habakkuk, do, And I really believe that it has so much application for us. And what do we do when we're wrestling with God, when we're struggling to face an unknown future? What do we do in the midst of uncertainty when our world has been turned upside down? What's the right attitude for us that believe? I believe there's three decisions to make, three challenges that God gives to Habakkuk that he's going to give to us as well. And this is what we start in verse two. He says this. It says, Then the Lord answered and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's What is God telling us to do? What what is God telling Habakkuk to do and and in turn us to do in a season of uncertainty when we're not really sure what comes next? Here's, Here's the first thing that he says. Number one, if you're a note taker, and that is make your vision visible. Make your vision visible. The challenge that we have as people is that we forget so easily. I mean, you, you, you probably realize this, you've had to go to the store and then you got to get your mask on and then you got to get your gloves and then you got to get your hand sanitizer and your hazmat suit, right? Also, you can go to the store and you're, because, you know, you're trying to find something. And uh, this is several years ago. My wife sent me to the Publix to get a prescription. I get there. The pharmacy says it's going to be a few minutes. So I start walking around. And someone from the bakery offers me a sample, which of course I thought was fantastic. Then I walk over to the deli and had a couple slices of deli meats, which by the way, if you just kind of keep circling Publix, you can get full. But anyway, that's when they're offering stuff. Um, but then I saw things that were on sale and, and my, my kids will tell you this. They're like, you know, my dad can't resist BOGO. BOGO is, means buy one, get one. And, and I do, I have a hard time. I It's like, you know they're offering ice cream sandwiches, buy one, get one free. If I don't buy these, I'm losing money. I mean, that's how I feel. Anyway, so all of these things were on sale, right? Ice cream, sugar cereals, chips, other assorted treats. And my kids love when I go shopping because as I have been told, I have the, my palate is about as advanced as a seven year old. And so, whereas my wife buys fruit and yogurt and other disgusting things. And so I get to the cashier and I spend, within about 10 minutes, I spend like 170 bucks. Then I put everything in my car and I drive home. And my wife, as I'm unpacking everything, she says, hey, what bag is the prescription in? And then I, I grab my keys and I'm like, hey, I'll be right back. And she's like, where are you going? Uh, and I said, Publix. And she's like, why? I, I just got to pick something up. She says, you forgot the prescription, didn't you? And that was the first thing that I asked you to buy. That was the only thing I asked you to buy. You bought four different boxes of cereal, but you forgot the prescription. And I I said, well, care, two things. Number one, that cereal was on sale. And number two, I, I really don't know what else happened. So now here's the point, is that our focus can become so diverted so easily that we've got to write things down. And I'm not talking about writing down the grocery list, although that's probably a good idea. I'm talking about writing down the vision for your life that God has given you. Because if you aren't careful, days and weeks and years will go by and you will never get started. And by the way, even worse than knowing what your vision is and not starting and letting time go by is second-guessing what God told you to do in the first place. Uh, In my office at church, I have uh, this notebook that I have recorded in great detail. Everything that God did in my life, and that's the only thing that's written in this notebook, are just pages of everything God, that God did in my life to get me to move here and start this church almost 20 years ago. And I was running a college at the time during the week. I was speaking at churches almost every weekend. I was extremely happy with my life. And then God started speaking to me, and all these strange providential things started happening as God was showing us that he wanted us to come and start Calvary back in the year 2000. And, and, and I wrote everything down. And, and, and the reason I wrote everything down was because I just had this thought, like someday I might forget. So, and, and in the moment, you're like, I'm never gonna forget this story. But when things get difficult, That there were going to be difficult moments. There were going to be difficult years. There were going to be times that doing this was going to be way harder than I ever dreamed that it would be. And listen, I want to tell you what gets you through those really difficult moments. And and two things. I have an amazing wife who encouraged me. And I have a notebook that the vision that God had given me, I wrote down so that I could keep running. And that's what God tells Habakkuk. Write the vision. Make it plain that he who reads it can run. And, that's what, and, and and the thing is, because he's saying, Habakkuk, when this is all over, you're going to see that I'm faithful and can be trusted. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the vision that God has given you. I want you to keep it visible so you see it often, so it's always top of mind, so that every time you see it, you're going to find that God inspires you and gives you new ideas about how to turn that vision into reality. And listen, when things get tough and you want to give up, you're going to remember that this wasn't your idea. Right, Because the ideas that we have about life are usually things that make life easy, not make life more challenging. And when you take up God's vision, it's usually not something that's going to make life easier. It's going to make life more challenging. And listen, it was God's idea that he was giving to you. And and you're going to remember this, even in the middle of it when it's difficult. In the book of Philippians chapter 1 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Second thing, not only do we have to make the vision visible, the second thing we've got to do is we've got to trust God in the messy middle. Trust God in the messy middle. In verse 3, God tells Habakkuk that the vision will come even if it tarries. Now there's a little translation issue in verse 3 that says this, and it sounds weird, and I don't know if you caught it when we read it. It says, the visions for an appointed time but at the end it will speak it will not lie though it tarries wait for it because it will surely come it will not tarry so it's like is it gonna tarry or not tarry now here's what you have to understand those the, uh, the first word uh, the first tarry the second tarry are actually two different hebrew words so let me the, when he says though it tarries wait for it uh the the hebrew word is maha and it means to delay or hesitate which is what the word, our understanding of the word tarry means. And that is, if things are delayed, wait for it because it will surely come. So when it says in the second part, it will not tarry, um, ahar is, this, is this, the other Hebrew word which means to procrastinate. So what he's saying is, is that even if things are delayed, it's going to come to pass because God isn't going to procrastinate even if things are delayed. The point is this. There's an excitement that happens in the beginning of any kind of vision, any kind of project, any kind of uh, thing that you start doing. And there's always joy when the thing comes to pass. But the messy middle is when most people give up. And the number one reason that we give up is because we see no movement. But see, in the messy middle is where all the growth happens. Listen, this church... Was portable. That means we met in different facilities, rented places, and we met in high schools and hotel conference rooms, and you know, uh, we met in the fellowship hall of an Episcopal church. I mean, we met in all kinds of different places. We were portable for 14 years, eight months, and then people will say to me, "Wow, you were portable for 14 years." And I said, "No, that's not what I said. I said 14 years, eight months. Don't take the last eight months away from me." And so now I remember when we put a, it was about year ten, and we put a contract on a property over by Miramar City Hall, right behind there. And it was the worst eight months trying to get that to close, and on the last day, and we were like, we are months away from this closing, and it was the last day that you could get your money back. We made the decision to get our money back, because we just didn't see this thing going forward. In fact, uh, anytime you drive by, that property, is still not built out. All kinds of problems. And I remember when we got the money back, which was a good thing, but. I remember wondering, like God, we're 10 years into this. Uh, I mean, is this is this ever going to happen? And but listen, when that property fell through, is when our realtor checked on the property that Calvary calls home today. You see, yesterday uh, I was here at church, and I had to go up on the roof to close up this latch. And so I went up on the roof, and, and I do that every once in a while. And I think sometimes people are think like, what is he going to do? Uh, but I go up on the roof, and I just like to kind of look over the city, but. I went up on the roof and I remember looking at the property next door that this vacant land, which is like some of the last vacant land in the city, maybe in a lot of the county. And I remember I was up there with Pastor George three years ago and I said to him, and I said, we need this property. And I said, how about you and I commit that every day we're gonna pray that this property becomes ours. And we prayed there together. Within one year, uh, that property, we bought it and became part of our future plans. Here's the point. Even if it takes time, it's not going to be endlessly delayed, the vision coming to pass. God does a work in your life in the messy middle that can't happen at the beginning and doesn't happen at the end. It only happens in the season of waiting. And then here's the last thing I want to share with you. And that is in verse four, where he says, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And that is, you make the vision visible. you got to stick with it in the messy middle. And then number three, you live with a fervent faith. I want you to notice that it doesn't say that the just shall have faith. It says that the just shall live by their faith. It's not just that they have, you know, faith talk. Oh yeah, they talk a good game. No, no, no. It's that they are actually living by their faith, that everything that this person does displays the kind of faith that they have. Because the truth is, is that everyone does have faith. Everyone has faith in something. Some people just have faith in themselves. Some people have faith in the government. And if that's you, God help you. Uh, But listen, for others, they have faith in the living God. That God is a God who can be trusted. And that no matter what life throws at them, their faith is unshakable. And if you would look at the people who have made a difference in your life, the people who have impacted your life the most, it's always been people who've had an unshakable faith. The people who live out their faith in every area of their life because they have experienced the goodness of God and they can't help but trust God for an uncertain future. Because when things were uncertain before, God had proven himself to be faithful time and time again. You see, this is the journey that God welcomes us on, that he invites us to and maybe you've never started that journey, that this is your moment to invite Jesus into your life, to ask him to forgive you, to go before you in every season that life throws at you. Because we don't know what the future holds, but we know who we can trust. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you that even in uncertain times, we can commit an uncertain future to you, that you love us, that you want to walk with us, that you want to forgive us. And so we pray that you would do even that work, Lord, that there are some even right now from their homes that are watching that are committing their life to you. And listen, if that's you, that you're saying you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. Just repeat after me. just says, dear God, I'm sorry for all I've done wrong, but I'm coming to you today because I thank you for Jesus who died for me, that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.